Thank you, thank you. So, who's seen Barbie? Okay, just a few. It's overrated, so don't, don't worry about it. You're not missing, you're not missing much. Uh, but I'm still going to talk about it. Something that was unexpected from those of us who know about the movie and may have seen it was how popular it was. I tried getting tickets the first or second week, and the seats were not good. Barbie smashed the box office. Um, yeah, it was a fun story. It was a good opportunity to, for some to, to reminisce some old times. Opportunity for some to, to wear pink. Uh, but for many, from what I hear, uh, it was a prophetic word. It was a revelation about our culture, about life, about finding our true self. Now, for those of you who, who haven't seen the movie or know anything about it, let me, let me fill you in here, okay? Uh, Barbie is about none other than Barbie, uh, specifically stereotypical Barbie. That's, that's her actual name in the movie. And it's about Ken. Uh, Barbie and Ken live in Barbie land where Barbie's life is perfect. She is perfect. She has the Barbie house, the, the Barbie car. Uh, she's friends with everyone, including the president of, of Barbie land. And she has a boyfriend who, who is in, madly in love with her. Uh, maybe too much. Ken's whole life, whole existence is about Barbie. He has no house. He has no car. He has no job. It's just beach and Barbie. Uh, as the story develops, however, Barbie and Ken both begin to realize that perhaps their current life is not as fulfilling as they once thought it to be. Uh, and at the end, spoiler alert, uh, at the end of their self-discovery journey, Barbie comes to realize that she must leave Barbie land in order to be uh, a new Barbie, the, the true Barbie, her true self. She realizes her identity, her purpose is greater, is beyond just existing in this fantasy world. And Ken, he realizes something too. He realizes that perhaps his identity is more than just being Barbie's boyfriend. That perhaps life has a little more, if not a lot more, going on for him. I don't think any of us have to be a Barbie or a Ken to relate to their story. You see, we live in a world where certain people benefit from other people, us, being and living a certain way. It's not called Barbie land, but it's certainly someone else's land. Turn on the TV, from the news to Netflix, Everyone is trying to convince us of things to believe, uh, what gives life meaning, who we should be, how we should live. And haven't we all come to some degree to believe that narrative? Haven't we all come to believe to some extent that that person that is being sold is who we are to be, who we are to become? That that life is the one that we should live. And I think, not knowing you all, but I think we're all capable and, and sharp people here. 
haven't we all come to realize the inadequacy of that self, the insufficiency of that life? Uh, we are in a series here at 10th titled Becoming Your True Self, where we are exploring uh, how the grace of God and participating with him, uh, we can become, as you may have guessed, our true self. Uh, this person we grew up thinking we should be or should become is what psychologists sometimes call the false self or the shadow side. Uh, in scripture or in the Christian tradition, we might call this the fallen side. And although Jesus did not live in a time that had the, the vocabulary to define or describe uh, our lived experience, or at least my lived experience— Jesus does have something to say about it. In fact, he has incredible insight, advice, and good news for it. He says these words. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, we just praise you that we have been made uh, by you, that you knew us before uh, we were conceived, that you have plans to prosper us and give us hope for a future, um, that you desire our true self to emerge um, in this world um, and for us to find joy and purpose in it. And so God, uh, breathe your spirit upon us that we may see your glory, your beauty, um, and to be drawn deeper into, uh, into you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Our saying by Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels in some form or fashion, uh, which means that although everything Jesus said was, was important, the Gospel writers believe that this saying uh, was central to Jesus' teaching and ministry. Now, this isn't a hard and fast rule, okay? But usually when Jesus repeats things, when Jesus talks about the same thing a lot, when the Bible repeats a topic, it's probably important. Uh, ever since I can remember, uh, my great and loving dad has always driven me, even now. Uh, when my parents first split, when I was seven, my dad would drive across the city uh, to pick me up and then drive me back uh, across the city to his place or to my grandma's every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday. Uh, on the weeknights, he would be driving at least an hour and a half to get at most a couple hours with me. I love my dad. Um, it's probably why also I love being driven. It makes me feel loved. It makes me feel special. I think some of the laughter is uh, 
I agree or a, a amen. But you know what it also did to me? It means I hate driving and I definitely hate driving other people. <laughs> Makes me feel ordinary, average. Who wants to feel ordinary or average? Am I right? Don't, you don't have to agree to that. That's my, that's my fallen self, okay? As you are all probably aware, this is not a good strategy to life. As great as being driven around may feel, as great as feeling special may feel, we all know that uh, you probably know more than me that this is not the recipe. This is not the way to true life. If I tried, if I attempted to never drive, to have everyone drive me and never drive anyone else, I, as Jesus said, will probably most definitely lose my life and my bank account because Uber is not cheap at all. So Jesus expresses a common experience or at least my experience and understanding, that, quote, whoever finds their life will lose it. That whoever tries to find their life, build their life uh, through the ways that they have come to learn, through the ways of the world. That whoever tries to stay in Barbie land, Hollywood, only uh, child-divorced parents' land, that person will not find life. In fact, they will probably lose it. So Jesus then says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In order to understand the, the full meaning of this statement, we, we have to do a couple word studies, okay, here. I love a good word study. I don't know about you, uh, but we're going to do it anyways, okay? So first word, loses. The word loses in Greek uh, is the word apolumi. And although it does mean lose, uh, read the, what the dictionary says. I don't know if you, can, if you can read that, so I'll just read it for you. Sorry, I made, made the font too small. Uh, it means to destroy, to put out of the way entirely, abolish, put an end to ruin, render useless, to kill, to declare that one must be put to death, to devote or give over to eternal misery in hell, to perish, to be lost, ruined, destroyed. Hold on to that, okay? Put that on the shelf. We're going to take the next word, okay? The next word is life. Life in Greek. And this comes from the root word suke, uh, which means the seat of feelings, desires, affections from our, from our heart, from our soul. It's where we get the word psyche and psychology. In Greek, there are three words to talk about life. Bios, zoe, and suke. Bios is about our natural life. It's where we get the word biology. Second, zoe, beautiful name, a zoe is about quality of life. Notice that Jesus does not use either of these two words. Jesus is talking about a different life. He's talking about the psychological life, the inner life. When we look at our text again, knowing the real meaning of these two words or getting a fuller understanding of these two words, 
we can see that Jesus is not saying we have to simply let go of a few lifestyle behaviors and preferences. Jesus is saying we have to lose, kill, destroy, give over to eternal misery in hell, our very life, our psyche, our feelings, our desires, our affections. We have to put to death our sense of identity and our vision for life. For our marriage, our family, our career, our status, our self, our very life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a person, he bids them to come and die. He bids them to come and die. I know, heavy statement. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis says, mere Christianity. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead, a new self. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. Now, for, uh, for anyone who may be getting a little bit worried about where this is going or where I'm going, uh, let me put some fears to rest, okay? Jesus is not endorsing or encouraging a type of asceticism or extreme minimalism. Don't get f- the former word confused with aestheticism. If that doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. He's not saying that the more we deprive ourselves of all worldly pleasures, of food, of people, of experiences, and the more we whip ourselves on the back and the more we pray on broken shards of glass, the better our life will be. He's not saying that. Jesus is not also espousing the teachings of Eastern religions, of particularly Buddhism, which teaches that true life, that the enlightenment comes from the loss, from the losing of all sense of individual self. No, Jesus is not saying that. We know this, we know this because Jesus loved people. Jesus loved being around people. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. He went to people's homes and had meals with them. He ate with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. The religious leaders of the time called him a drunk and a glutton. Now, the next picture, although this picture was probably created by an AI art generator, or most certainly was, If Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago and came this time, I think this picture could actually be an icon for the future of who Jesus was, minus the weird hands and the pizza heads. Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight. 
and he will give you the desires. He will give you the desires of your heart. Desires are good. Desires are God-given. Joy is good. Joy is God-made. And Jesus is about life, but about true life. Our culture today sort of gets, sort of vibes with what Jesus is saying here, to a degree though. Our culture today knows that there are people telling us who we should be and how we should live, and that that advice is not optimal, it's not the best, uh, it might be good, but it's not for everyone. It might even be harmful, what our culture loves to call toxic. And our culture knows that we have to lose, we have to let go of these, these identities, these ways of life. But our culture today will say that we can find it on our own. That if we simply travel and we eat and we pray and we love, as Elizabeth Gilbert popularized in her book and in her movie, that if we go to South America on an ayahuasca trip, that is how we find our true life. That is how we find our true self. But if I may ask, and I mean, and I may say this with all due respect, how is that going for us? Like, how is that going for our world, right? Like, I don't know about you, I turn on the TV, our culture is, is in shambles. Our, our culture is divided. Our culture is confused. And what I think our culture and sadly even our churches miss, neglect, are these three words in our text. For my sake. For my sake. Jesus says, whoever loses their life, not for their own sake, not for their partner's sake, their parents' sake, their children's sake, not for anybody's sake, but for his sake, will find life. The great poet Marshall Mathers, also known as Eminem, articulates clearly how we are to lose ourselves. You can sing along if you know. He says, you better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. Yes, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Thank you. Mic drop, mic drop. Jesus calls us not to simply lose ourselves, but to lose ourselves to him. In the music of Jesus, but not just in a moment or one moment, but in every moment, in every opportunity, that is life. Judith A. Deal, former New Testament professor at Denver Seminary, writes, Against all traditional convention, the life of a Christian is characterized by weakness, suffering, death, and grace. Jesus does promise true self-discovery at the cost of self-denial. True life at the cost of death. There is a life that leads to death and a death that leads to life. The only way to live a full and godly life is to die, which is to renounce all sin and evil and selfish fleshly desires. It is a real death, putting to death the self to trust and serve God. 
Jesus is not calling us to simply lose ourselves and wander aimlessly in the world, finding our true self. But Jesus calls us to lose ourselves in service to him. When God created the first human beings, we see that something fundamental about being human, pre-fall, pre-sin, was work. Now, I'm not talking about a job here. The first humans were called to be fruitful and to multiply. They were called to steward, to serve the earth. They were called to give themselves to a work. And this work, this, this work was, was life-giving, truly fulfilling, joyful. Being human, being truly human, thus being truly ourselves, according to scripture, cannot be separated from work, from, from service. If we want to become our true self, then we must find God's, God's purpose, God's calling for our life and devote it, devote our life to it. Because only in that can we become our true self. Timothy Keller, late Timothy Keller, uh, in his commentary on her text says this, Jesus says, you'll never find yourself by trying to find yourself. You'll never get a true self by trying to find yourself. You're going to have to lose yourself in serving me. You're never going to find out who you really are by trying to find out who you really are. End of quote. There are some things that only happen as a byproduct of trying to get something else. There are some things that only happen as a byproduct and identity is one of them. Identity is one of them. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, don't we all know this to be true? Whether we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus or not, haven't we all experienced finding our true self, or at least a part of our true self in the love, the loving of other people? Is it so preposterous? Is it so wild to believe that in serving and loving fully the maker and the savior of the universe, that this is how we actually find and become our true self? At my old life group's potluck just a few weeks ago, my friend who's a grade two public teacher told me that all her kids, all her kids want to either be influencers or YouTubers. Uh, in fact, some of those kids actually already have YouTube accounts. Uh, I'd like to talk to those parents, but uh, that's, that's, that's up to them. Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a joke. No judgment. When I was in university, before the word influencer was even a word or a thing, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be famous for famous sake, you know? I was a trendsetter leading the next generation to glory. But when I had an encounter with the living God, the love of Christ, after a year of auditions for commercials, small TV roles, and to be in a Korean boy band, 
something changed. I had this growing desire to help people know and follow Jesus. And what can only be attributed seriously to the Holy Spirit, what can only be attributed as a work of God, I started to want to drive people. (laughs) Nothing made me happier than driving people to church. It was wild. And for a season, every Sunday morning, I would try and fill my car with friends who had either left the church or who didn't have any church experience and bring them to this very room right here. And the next night, the next day on Monday, I'd go to young adults and then try to fill my car to drive everyone home. Somehow, In the giving up of my time, my preferences, my gas, wasn't as expensive back then, but it was still expensive. I found life. Somehow in my loss, for the sake of Jesus, I found life. And we know that this can be true and is ultimately true for all of us because of Christ himself. Jesus is the one who ultimately, literally lost his life in service of God and found true resurrection life. In his death, he is given a new life and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Echoing Jesus' life and words to us, the Apostle Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, therefore, God, and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father take a look at these two Russian icons of Jesus's crucifixion. The one on the left is the original from the 17th century, and the one on the right is a modern rendition by uh, an artist named Olga Christine. Now, it might be a little bit hard to see, but follow along. Notice Jesus's body posture. The flexion towards the right, the bowed head, the closed eyes. These indicate his death. But take a look at his face if you can see it. His face is turned towards Mary, showing a majesty in his suffering. And what the author is trying to convey is that Christ died, but he is still alive. That death cannot defeat him. Now notice at the bottom that little black hole uh, that symbolizes victory over death and hell. 
And if you can see it, there is a skull, a little white thing in the middle of that black. And there is blood coming down from Jesus. And what this skull represents is the redemption of the first Adam by the blood of Christ, the second Adam, the new Adam, and the salvation of the human race. This is what most of the church for all of history has understood Jesus and the cross. The cross is a gruesome way to die. Certainly at that time, the worst way to die. Uh, A way only reserved for, for criminals. The most shameful and painful way to die. Yet Jesus willingly dies by a cross. And somehow what should be an ugly sight to all is perhaps to some, to us, the most beautiful sight we can see. The obedient suffering and death of the king of the world for the life of the world. Is that not a beautiful picture? We Protestants, we Westerners, however, uh, we prefer an empty cross, an empty tomb. We love focusing on Jesus's glory, Jesus's resurrection, Jesus's life. And as Protestant, I love it. Jesus has defeated sin and death. Like, come on. He offers us eternal bios, eternal zoe, eternal suke today by his spirit. Like, let's go, right? But in doing so, we forget. I, I can forget that what the church has focused on for so much of history and what Jesus himself says is that the glory, the resurrection, the life comes through a cross, comes through Jesus on the cross and comes through us taking up our cross. That true life, our true self is found not in pursuing our own desires, not in finding and forming our own identity, but in taking up our cross in service to Christ, in sacrificial mission to the world. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the cross is not something that you merely put your hands on. It is not something that you wear. The cross is something that you bear and ultimately that you die on. As we wind down, allow me to ask just one question. How is Jesus calling you to the cross? In the passage, uh, Jesus says these same words in the book of Luke, but uh, Luke adds something. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. How often? Daily follow me. Cross-bearing isn't a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. It's a daily thing. To be his follower, says Jesus, means to be cross-bearers. So wherever we are in our pursuit of Jesus, whether you've just started a couple days ago or you've been following Jesus all your life, I think Jesus calls all of us to lay down something, to lay down our lives for his sake, 
And he promises, though, that in that loss, in that giving up of ourself, we will actually find life, true life, our true self. And so what false self, what false self, what identity, what way of the world, what way of life is God calling you to let go of? What of your status, your career, your financial safety, your relationships, your family, your singleness, your sense of self? Do you have to lose to follow, to serve him? If you haven't made a decision yet to follow Jesus, uh, maybe perhaps the question to first ask simply is, are you willing? Are you willing to take up your cross, whatever that may be in the future for the true self, the true life that Jesus' promises is only found through serving him and following him? If your answer is yes, then Jesus says, come and follow me. And if you don't know what that looks like or what to do at all, uh, Nathan and I would be happy to, to talk to you after service about next steps. Do not think for one moment, however, that Jesus is calling us to do this alone. The Jesus who calls us to follow him, to take up our cross, is not calling us to an empty cross. Jesus said he would never, Jesus never said we would take it up on our own. Jesus says if we take up our cross for his sake, he will be with us for all the ages, that he will never forsake us, that he will sustain us. Better yet, he will lead us into new life, into glory, into our new selves. Christ is, yes, no longer physically on the cross, but he is still the crucified Messiah. Paul says he knows nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Christ is with us on the cross. Christ is with us in our suffering. And more than that, however, Jesus' plan as shown in his life and the life of the early church is that we would never follow him alone but follow him in community. And that is why I love the church. That's why I believe in the church and believe it is so beautiful when done right, when lived out. Because the church at its heart is a community of the cross, a community of people from all backgrounds taking up their crosses for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the world. I think the only thing more beautiful than that picture that we looked at before is a picture of us right now, the crucified community. I'm wrapping up. Friends, let's not let life get in the way. Let's not let the culture dictate how we live. Our self, our life is way too valuable to be, to be wasting out on finding a self and a life that is not ours truly. Let's not store our treasures where moth and rust destroy, but instead store them in heaven 
Let's not hide our talents in fear of what may happen, but instead invest them wisely for the sake of the one who gave them to us. And let us not run for a crown that is perishable, but instead run run for one that is imperishable. Let us not gain the whole world and forfeit our very soul, but instead let us lose our life for the sake of Christ and find true life, resurrection life, abundant life now, today, and forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming down to us, for leaving the the comfort, the riches, the glory of being with the Father and, and being born as a human in a cave. Thank you for living a life of of mediocrity and showing us what true life really looks like. Not a life of status, of power, of popularity, but one of love. And so God, help us by your spirit to make us those types of people. People of the cross. People of love. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.